Some of you know that we are in a current sermon series, what the Bible is all about. Last fall, we had the sermon series about sort of an overview, the overarching themes of the Old Testament, and uh, last week we launched a series on the New Testament. Most of us are sort of hungry to know how God's story, how the Bible story fits together, and then how we fit in that story, what is my place in God's great narrative. And so we looked last week at the Gospels, and today we're going to look at the book of Acts and try to make sense of uh, the book that's called the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I want to remind you that the, some of the resources that have been listed on the website and in the bulletin are available in our church library. And then, of course, you can get online, Amazon, and inexpensively buy many of those sources. We encourage you to learn and discover and, and uh, ask questions behind the questions and make this a growing discipling time for all of us. This morning, I want to read uh, three different scriptures from the book of Acts to sort of give us a flavor and a sampling of uh, what it is that the Acts of the Apostles teach us. And so Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, and then from chapter 2, the story of Pentecost, verses 1 through 4, and then over in chapter 4, just a little glimpse, a snapshot of of church life in uh, verses 31 through 33. So listen very prayerfully. It's on the screen uh, as I read from the message uh, and as we share God's word together. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. They said, you Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and as mysteriously as he left. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. Now Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. While they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. The whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Master Jesus, and grace was on all of them. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the witness of Scripture and for our place in your story. We want to thank you for each person gathered here this morning. We pray that this might be a, a morning of discovery, a morning of revealing as your Spirit guides us into truth. We thank you for the opportunity 
to be in prayer together, to worship together, to sing together. We thank you for all the joys and liberties we enjoy in this country. We pray today for those in our congregation who are sick, for those who are grieving, for those who are troubled, for those who have lost their way. We pray that you would bless our world so on fire and so in need of your healing. We pray for peace and we pray for justice. We ask God that you now bless this offering. It's a privilege for us to take part in financial sharing because it's in giving that our hearts go out also to live our witness. And we pray that you'll bless these gifts and use them all over the earth with our partners to feed the hungry, to bring the good news to those who don't know you, and to make a difference in people's lives. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't think I've ever told you in all the years I've been your pastor about the very first time I preached and there was a public response. Somebody walked the aisle. Uh, Baptists give altar calls and that's our tradition uh, to give invitations to discipleship and uh, the very first time that I preached that that happened, I want to just share with you briefly. I was uh, all of 16 years old. I was called to preach just a month or two before my uh, 16th birthday and so this was a few months later, and I was preaching in my home church, Maple Grove Baptist Church, uh, and it was a Sunday night, and uh, I want you to know that when I was preaching, I was not preaching for results. I was not preaching to get someone down the aisle. I was preaching because I couldn't help it, because there was, like Jeremiah the prophet said, uh, fire in my bones. There was this need to get it out. Uh, I had this strong sense of urgency, this pressure to, to preach, to, to share the good news with somebody. And, you know, res, results, uh, human visible results were not necessarily on my mind. So when I gave the invitation, which I'd heard, you know, hundreds of pastors do over the years of my life growing up in church, I was really surprised when Mildred Rainey walked the aisle. Uh, she was a, a godly woman, a, a humble woman, a, a very good woman, and... Uh, I found out later that she was rededicating her Christian life to grow closer to the Lord, and I was grateful for that. But, you know, I was startled, frankly. It was sort of like I didn't know I was shooting real bullets. You know, I was preaching because I, I felt the compulsion to preach, and I didn't know this stuff really worked. Uh, I, I preached because it was in me. Well, uh, Maple Grove was a very small church building, and it was an old building. It had been remodeled a time or two, but it didn't have a lot of wall sockets. You know, back then they didn't put a lot of electrical uh, outlets along the wall. And so the only wall clock in the building, and you've got to have a clock in a Baptist church, or the preacher will go on forever, amen? Uh, and so, watch it. I heard that over there. Uh, there was a wall clock over there, but in order for that clock to work, they had to run a long extension cord. And when Mildred stepped out of her pew to come, her heel tripped on that clock and it came crashing down right in the middle of the invitation. That's a real mood killer, let me tell you. Uh, and also, I've been wanting to put, if I ever write an autobiography, the first time I preached and somebody came forward, time stood still. I've been waiting all week uh, to share that with you. But... But the point that I want to make is, I was not focused on results when I preached. I was focused on that pressure from within. I was preaching and sharing because I had to. And as I read through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, 
I sort of sense that. I don't sense that they got up each morning in a huddle and said, what are we going to do to reach people? How are we going to get results? As I read the book of Acts, they simply shared and preached because they couldn't help it. Because it was in them like fire. The risen Christ had happened to them. And they could not contain him. In this series on understanding the Bible, what the Bible is all about, there's really no way to understand the New Testament without understanding the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is pivotal, absolutely pivotal. And there's no understanding of the book of Acts without understanding the Holy Spirit. And somebody has said that the book called the Acts of the Apostles could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And the Holy Spirit is simply the personality of the risen Christ working through believers. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's who he is in the book of Acts. He is the spirit of the risen Christ, the personality of the risen Jesus, living and working and walking through his followers, just like the Holy Spirit today is the risen Christ, personality extended through our lives. And so, it probably would not surprise you to learn that the book of Acts is volume two of a two-volume set. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then Luke said, I've got more to tell you, so I want, I want to give you volume two, and Luke wrote the book of Acts. You read the end of Luke in chapter 24, he's dealing with the risen Christ. You read the beginning of Acts chapter one, as we did a moment ago, and it is the risen Christ. It is one continuous story, story, sort of like a sequel, you know, Despicable Me 1, Despicable Me 2 movie sequels, or Star Wars, or TV series, uh, spin-off series, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Luke says, I've got more to tell you about this risen Christ. After he ascends, his spirit, his personality comes to live inside people. And I want you to know about it. And so, the book of Acts basically covers roughly 35 years, depending on how you do the math, from the resurrection of Jesus, ending with the spread of the gospel as Paul finally takes the gospel to the heart of culture, the heart of government, to the city of Rome itself in chapter 28 of Acts. That's, that's the whole book of Acts in about 35 years. And everything in between is of very, very significant importance. So with that in mind, I want us to look at that third scripture that I read earlier, the last one from Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. The whole group of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. They didn't claim private property. They shared everything. And with great power, they gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. Now, here's my contention. Here's my thesis. Those brief verses are a, a, a synopsis, a capsule of the entire book of Acts. Those few verses 
are an outline or a sort of overture of every tune that will be played in all of the book of Acts. All the important themes are struck there. And I've, I've put some of them on the screen for you to just show you what I'm talking about. And those will be up a while, so you don't have to write quickly if you're a note taker. Uh, one of the themes that's found in chapter 4, verses 31 through 33, is total commitment. And that's a theme throughout the book of Acts. Eugene Peterson has said, the book of Acts is in the Bible to remind Christians that our faith is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. You don't sit back, fold your arms, and watch it. We're engaged. We're all in. We're committed. We're involved. Discipleship doesn't happen by watching it. We roll up our sleeves and we live it. And over and over again, in the book of Acts, the early believers kept showing by their commitment that they were all in, and they did that because they couldn't help it. It was just in them. Second, the theme that's in this passage, chapter 4 and throughout Acts, sacrificial love. They loved everybody, and they loved sacrificially. They took all of their possessions and said, you know, this isn't as important to me as it used to be. I just want to pool it in with your resources, and we want to help everybody. And they didn't just pick and choose. They didn't just help people they liked or who were just like them. They loved the marginalized, the outcast, the nobodies, the despised. They loved sacrificially because they couldn't help it. That was just Jesus' personality in them because Jesus loves sacrificially. And then third, courageous, contagious, faith-sharing. Did you notice a theme in the three scriptures that I read, the Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked, Lord, is now the time when you're going to restore things the way they used to be? And he said, no, that's not the point. Something new is coming. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you with power. You're going to be my witnesses all over the geography of our land. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, they're all gathered in one place after having prayed and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in miraculous fashion. And then the Acts 4 scripture, which I read just a moment ago. One thing in common, one common theme, you know what it is? It's that they were able to do things they could not do on their own and they would not do on their own. By the Holy Spirit's impulse and power, they had new motivation, they had new courage, they had new want-tos, they had new desires. They wanted their lives to be different, and they shared because they couldn't help it, because that pressure of the risen Christ Spirit was within them, and they wanted to simply share. In fact, in that verse 33 of Acts chapter 4, with great power, they gave their testimony. I looked up that word gave in the Greek. The word gave is an agricultural term. A stalk of corn or a stalk of wheat growing, maturing, ripening. The head ripens and the stalk gives its harvest. It yields. 
that which is naturally grown up inside it. Not something extra added, but that which is a product of the life from within. It naturally yields or gives. That word yield or give, that which is within us, is the word for giving their testimony. Not something extra, not a program, not a, not a motivation from the outside out of guilt, but that which is naturally in us coming out because we can't help it. Sharing courageously and contagiously the story of Jesus. And then the fourth one is patience and joy in the face of persecution and suffering. That's a theme throughout the book of Acts. Uh, in this fourth chapter, we didn't have time to develop the context, but the disciples have already been arrested, they've been warned, they've been released. After this experience, they're going to get arrested again in chapter 5. And this time, before they're released, the authorities say, I don't think they got the message the first time when we warned them and released them, so this time, let's beat them before we release them. So they gave them a flogging. Just beat them. And then they let them go. And the next thing Luke says is, after that, the disciples were sitting around laughing and praising God that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Wow. How do you get to that place? Later in the book of Acts, chapter 23, the Apostle Paul is going through one of the darkest times in his life. And in the middle of the night, when he can't sleep. And by the way, if you, if you never had that, if you live long enough, you will. You wake up with some dread fear. You wake up with the what ifs. You know the what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if, what if? You wake up confused, not knowing what direction to go. You wake up wishing you wouldn't wake up that all the pain would just end. If you haven't been there yet, you will, if you live long enough. In the middle of the night, Paul's going through the dark night. And the scripture says in verse 11, that night the Lord stood near him. Jesus stood near him and said, Keep your courage. For just as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also in Rome. Do you hear that? In the middle of your dark night, when you feel like the suffering cannot be understood or managed, when you feel like all hope is gone, the Lord stands beside your bed and He whispers, Courage! Courage! I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. I've got something else for you to do. Courage, First Baptist Church. God isn't through with us. Courage, believer and friend. God isn't done with us. And God isn't done with you. And by the way, the little special ending to this story, the reason Paul was having trouble sleeping is because he was imprisoned and he didn't know what the future held. Later in chapter 23 of Acts, 
a plot to assassinate him is revealed. Um, the plot is discovered by the authorities. They were going to transfer him in daylight to the next hearing that he would have. But because his life was in danger, and he was a Roman citizen whom they wanted to protect till he could have a fair hearing, they, they said, Paul, get up. We're going to move you in the middle of the night. And the scripture says in Acts 23 that in the middle of the night, under stealth, they created a Roman garrison to surround him and to escort him safely to his next place. Now many, probably many months later, the Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison writing the Philippians. And I want you to see what Philippians 4, 7 says. Paul writes, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will mount a garrison around your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what the Greek word means. To guard is to mount a garrison. The peace of God, Paul says, will mount a garrison of protection around your heart and around your mind. There's a historian slash Bible student named Alan Crater. Alan Crater has done some research on the early church, and uh, through putting some things together, he's, he's come up with a statistic that's pretty interesting. He says that the New Testament church grew at a rate of 40% per decade for the first three centuries. A rate of 40% growth per decade for 300 years. And here's the kicker. That was in a hostile environment. No laws to protect believers. And here's the second kicker. They did it mostly without formal preaching, like what you're listening to today, because it was illegal and dangerous. Most of the faith-sharing, Alan Crater says, was about the lifestyle that was contagious, about the courage and suffering, about those four things. Can we put the, that other one, that next slide up, that lists the four things? He said it's about total commitment that the people saw, the sacrificial love, the courageous and contagious faith sharing, and that patience and joy in the face of suffering and persecution. Their lives were winsome. Their lives were attractive. They, they drew people like magnets because they couldn't help it. They couldn't help it. The risen Christ was in them. So here's a question. Is that us? Is that us? And if not, why not? Where did the spiritual anemia come from? The spiritual lethargy. I'm here this morning to call us back to these four things. Total commitment, sacrificial love, 
courageous, contagious faith-sharing, and patience and joy in the midst of suffering. When the risen Christ is turned loose in us, amazing things happen simply because we can't help it. We can't help it. It just comes out.